It was clear to me from day one that my main motivation was the tension between Haredi and non-Haredi society. From the Jewish Funders Network, this is What Gives, the Jewish Philanthropy Podcast. I'm Andres Pokoini. On What Gives, we explore and debate the issues that matter in philanthropy and the Jewish community. And along the way, we build a deeper sense of community by sharing stories, getting to know the people in our field, and spreading ideas that can help all Jews and all givers change the world. Today, we are speaking with Eli Palay, a Jeff and member who is owner of Mishpacha Media Group and publisher of the Mishpacha Weekly Magazine for the Haredi and the tea sectors. A businessman and a social activist, Eli is the chairman of the Palais Family Foundation, which supports and promotes Torah centers and social initiatives in the Haredi community. Eli and I talked about philanthropy in the Haredi sector, efforts to integrate the Haredi community into the Israeli workforce, and ways in which Jewish organizations can be more inclusive of this often misunderstood community. We apologize that the quality of the recording is not perfect, but we really believe that the quality of the conversation greatly compensates for that. So take a listen. How would you define... Ellie in one word. A proud Jew, a Haredi, <laughs> <laughs> coming from a very Haredi background and a very Israeli affiliated. Yeah. Because the, the, the reason why I'm asking is because your background is very diverse. It's like you're an entrepreneur, you're Haredi, you're very integrated into the Israeli society. You're, you do things for the Haredi community, but you also do things for the society at large. So what, how was your trajectory? Like what brought you to do the things you're doing now? I think it's uh, many of us, uh, it comes from the family I grew up, my background. I'm coming from a family from one side. From my father's side, our family came to Israel in 1925 from Russia to establish the yeshiva in the city of Hebron. So my great-grandfather, my grandfather were the founders of the yeshiva. So our mission, our Zionist mission in 1925 was to establish Torah. And I'm coming from a very active family. Uh, my father, my grandfather, my grandfather was the assistant of the chief rabbi of Israel. So always a family who were very much involved in community uh, in general, and especially also in supporting and developing Torah uh, institutions and, and Torah presence in the state of Israel. And from my mother's side, I'm coming from a Holocaust survivor. My mother was a young girl. Uh, by the war, she was on a train to Auschwitz when she was like three years old. Somewhere after a day or two, the train was bombed and half of the train continued to Auschwitz and my mother was in the second help and here I am today. So I'm coming with a family with a very strong sense of Jewish identity, but also with a family that felt the mission of trying to rebuild after the war and trying to rebuild the Jewish life. And I think that led me over the years to my activities, mainly my career was in uh, in the Haredi media, today an international publication who really speaks to the vast majority of the Orthodox community around the globe. It always was by us more than a business and the journalism was really a mission to create a conversation in our society. So even in my business, I always came with a very strong sense of possibility of, and a of mission. mission. Right. 
But Ellie, it's interesting what you're saying now. You're saying that your publication, which, by the way, for the listeners that don't know, is a Mishpacha magazine, you talk to the different segments of the Haredi population. Now, for those of us not in the Haredi world, we tend to think of the Haredi world as a monolithic you know, thing. It's just everybody's the same. And, and in fact, it's a very diverse society. Can you, can you, can you talk a, lot, a little bit about the different streams within Haredi society? You know, we know Hasidim and Misnagdim, but there is there's different attitudes toward different things, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting question. And I would even say it's one of the even challenges in the Haredi society. It's not just about understanding the Haredi is a very uh, heterogenic identity, but also part of the challenges in the Haredi society that are it's divided to different sectors and there is some tension also between the different sectors. But in general, what I would say is, uh, I would say two things about it. A, I, I'm, many times I'm asked by people, people asking me, what's the common dominator of the Haredi society? Or in other words, how you define Haredi? Which is a right. very good question. And especially people asking, do you really think that Haredim in Israel and Haredim out of Israel, in America, in Europe, um, are, are, are similar? Because there, there is a perception that Haredim in Israel, it's mainly people are sitting and learning, uh, right. not going to work, which is, by the way, very not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Haredim in abroad are more open-minded, they're going to business, they're going to colleges. Right. So I'm always telling people, and, and I think this is a key answer to understand Haredi society. I think the key phenomenon of Haredi identity is a society that devoted to uh, halacha and Torah, but mainly this is not Haredi because there is other Orthodox communities are also very much devoting to Torah and halacha, but it's mainly a community that Torah is the center of their lives. Right. So it comes, so you can see it by their uh, emphasizing in the educational system that the main emphasis, especially with the boys, is to create and raise the Talmidei Chachamim. And over the, the first 18 years, I would say, so the main focus, and if you want to see about a family or personal community, are they already or not? I think the main uh, definition or the main measurement will be is Torah is one of the elements of their Jewish identity or it's the center of their Jewish identity? Once this is the, 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 the criteria, so then uh, you can have someone who is going to yeshiva high school or you can have someone who is doing regions or baguyot. But at the end of the day, their main focus, whether they are in Benebrak or in Montreal or in Flatbush, is that in those years, their main focus will be to create Talmidei Chachamim and, and to make, to put Torah as the center of their life. So this is one aspect. Of, there is a lot more to speak about what Haredim is and about the phenomenon of Haredim, but this is one of the main aspects. The other aspect, as you mentioned, Haredi society is very diverse. You mentioned the two sectors, Hasidim and Lithuanian, but this is the, the traditional the way to describe the Haredi society, especially in Israel, it's divided to three main sectors, which are Sephardi, people are coming from... Uh, Edot Amizrach, uh, like North, the, the, North, yeah, the Eastern Edot Amizrach, world. Yeah. North, North Africa, yeah. uh, the, and, and Ashkenazim, we're divided to Hasidim, and to Indian Hasidim are more 
they, they have different uh, lifestyle, they have different uh, communities, and it's relevant also to have many ramifications also in some aspects of the economy and, and, and community lifestyle. But I think even in between, there is many, many different sectors, and I would share with you, when I started my publication, so Mishpacha, talking about 30... 35 years ago. So that was really uh, revolutionary in the Haredi society because one of the ways that the Haredi society is keeping, uh, each community is keeping their own identity is by having that each of them have their own newspaper. Their own publication, right. Their own publication, which is very interesting. Uh, I think the way it used to be many years ago in Israel with with the kibbutzim and, and the labor, so today every party have a newspaper. The Hasidim have their own one, and even the Hasidim split to two publications, the Sfardim have, and the Lit- when Rav Shach established the Lithuanian movement, Degela Torah, uh, in the mid, mid-80s, so he started Yated Neman at the publication. And when Mishpacha came to the field and weakened with the publication, the entire Haredi society, people said there is no chance, because, you know, you have to be affiliated with some sectors, so who are <laughs> right. who are you affiliated with? And I think one of the secrets of Mishpacha over the years, and I think also one of the big accomplishments was that we proved that the common dominator of the Haredi society, even though that there is different sectors and there is different lifestyle and different approach to different issues in life, but at the end of the day, the common dominator is very broad. And having in the same publication readers from Satmer and readers from uh, Nofayalon, like more yeah. modern or, or more yeah. people from Tinek. I think this is one of the big accomplishments of also of our publication, which shows that Haredim have some deep identity above and beyond the different, different sectors. Yeah. But even inside each of those groups, there are changes happening now like there are things that are impacting Haredi society like for example the internet you know there's a generational change also during the pandemic a lot of the older rabbis died there seems to be some movement that again for those of us not in the Haredi world it all looks like frozen in time but but there's a lot of change isn't it definitely specifically in the area of digital and access to internet the pandemic creates some movement. But in general, speaking about the identity, Haredi identity, or the emphasis of Torah as the center of the life, um, I don't see a big change. And I don't even, I would even say that more than this, I see in some out of Israel, like in the United States and in Europe, I see that there are more and more adapting the Israeli Haredi style and uh, as an example, you can see Lakewood, which today is the, the fast growing Jewish community in North America, the fastest Jewish community. I was there. It's amazing to see what's going on there in every aspect of life, in economy and housing and Torah and Chesed. But you see that you see more and more Haredim beside people who are going to business, but more and more Haredim are choosing to devote a significant part of their life to Torah learning and after getting married, continuing, which is mainly the model that was over the years developed in Israel. So yes, it's true that you can see changes. Yes, there is some aspect that you can see changes even in Israel. You see in the past 10, 15 years, you see more Haredi men are going to get professional training, some going to academia. So there is more openness to accept and to adapt some modern models, 
but still I feel that there in at the same time there is a very strong models of, of adapting the core identity of Haredim and segregation. So it's it's really very dynamic. Right. And speaking about academia, you you started at the university and that used to be more unique than now. Now you actually see many Haredi men and, and in some cases women going for studies. How the Haredi society manages that? To manage the, the apparent conflict between the two things. So, yes, there, there is a very big tension about academia, especially here in Israel. I can tell you, for instance, that our publication is almost the only Haredi publication, print publication, who also prints uh, ads from uh, colleges and, and, and universities or have programs for Haredi. Most of the Haredi publications won't even publish these kind of programs. But there is big tension. Haredi girls, most of the Haredi girls are still getting their main education and even vocational training in the Haredi institutions and not going to academia. Yeah, yes, you can see growing numbers, but still the, the, the mainstream or the vast majority of Haredi are trying to keep away from academia. I right. know that we saw increasing numbers in the 10, 15 years, but today you can see, I just met uh, yesterday with one of the biggest organizations in Israel that was in charge of encouraging and helping Haredi wants to go to academia. And in the recent two, three years, there is a trend back that people feel that maybe weren't accepted well. There is big tension about academia. Uh, on one hand, the, the, the Haredi site is very concerned about some of the influence of academia besides giving you a professional training, but also the culture and, and trying to keep some model that people can get high quality training, but still keeping their lifestyle. And, and in Israel, uh, like in Israel, there is a big tension. And in the past few years was a lot of uh, a conversation by the Supreme Court trying to prevent universities of allowing Haredi to get a separate gender programs. And that's great, again, a sense by Haredi society that academia is trying to change us and not trying just to right. give us an opportunity uh, to get a higher education. And uh, yes, unfortunately, so key, this is one of the big tensions in Israel. Right. So the key, the key that you're saying now is that one of the main resistance of, of Haredim to, to get integrated into academic life or in the work life is that the perception, or in the army even, is that the perception seems to be, well, you don't really want to integrate us. They want to change us, right? Mm -hmm. And and that yeah. will immediately create suspicion in 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 those folks. Is that is that a fair point? Absolutely. And, and, and as I said, in, in the past, I don't know, 15 years, so new, new places were open, like Rabbanita Dina Bar Shalom. Oh. I have a daughter who got her a degree there. And you got thousands of Haredim that went through these uh, programs. But today, um, most of these places uh, close. And, and not, uh, there is still few programs, but most of them close. And as I said, there is some organizations and a movement who are applying to the court and trying to block the only way we are ready to give Haredi the opportunity to get access to our, our uh, meaning the academia, the education, yeah. if they will accept our culture and lifestyle, which from my perspective is a big mistake. I, right. and, I, and I'll explain. I, I definitely can understand and even respect a university would say, I want to make sure that when a student comes 
uh, when a student uh, comes to the campus, he won't feel this is a campus that Haredim are uh, taking it over. And I want to make sure that the student will get uh, uh, an opportunity to learn in, in the way that he used to. But on the other hand, not to, not to allow Haredim to have an access to academia under their lifestyle, and sometimes it's even halachic issues, I think it's a big mistake and create a, a sense of, you know, they're not really trying to allow us to get better opportunities, they're trying to change, and, and it's not a secret. There is a big tension between the Haredi society and the non-Haredi society, and it's not, it not just about going to the army or not going to the army or, or teaching the secular curriculum or not. It's really a tension about the narrative. There is two groups in the Jewish society, different approach about what Jewish identity is about, and everything that we're dealing with in the day-to-day, it's reflecting also the question, so who is right and who is wrong, instead of trying to work together. I said, okay, we can respect that each of us brings to the table something very important to the Jewish people who are in the Jewish future, and let's see how we can work together. So Haredim are living in Israel in a sense that they are not well accepted, that there is a fear from Haredim, and but also there is a different efforts to try to change Haredim and to make them so-called normal. Right. In a way, I mean, if academia is more complicated, the workplace may offer some of some of the industries in the workplace can be easier. So, for example, you're working a lot in integrating Haredim into high tech. That may offer better opportunities for harmonization of the Haredi lifestyle with gainful employment, in a way, no? Absolutely. I, I think that the, the high-tech community, if I can call it like that, are more welcoming Haredi uh, without any demands and coming and asking, I want to I see you as a human being. I want to see you as, as a, a potential employer, and I don't have any agenda. I don't need you to do anything just come join us and work. And yes, there is also some culture issues and there is some tension, but uh, the reason why I was very much focusing on in, in the first pilot to work with the high-tech industry and to create a model of high-quality training without an academia because I felt that by the, uh, the high-tech industry is one of the places that I felt people are coming with, with no bias, with no any, any just trying to see how we can work together. They appreciate what the Haredi talent can bring to the industry. And, and again, without uh, uh, being arrogant and saying, ah, we didn't go to the army, uh, you got the yeshiva education, they find out that even Haredi men who are coming with yeshiva background are bringing some unique quality to the diverse workspace. And I think this is a, a model that I would love to see adapting in more areas. I will give just another example. Uh, in the public sector, you know, this is one of my main lessons through the pandemic. It's not a secret that one of the big issues of the pandemic was really the mistrust between the Haredi society and the authorities. And I'm not looking for uh, whom to blame, but I'm saying as a fact, you saw that was uh, it started with the misunderstanding, and at some point it became like a real tension and mistrust, uh, opening the schools, closing the schools, yeshivas and not yeshivas, and, and, and etc. And I asked myself, what can we do to try to create a better trust, a better way of trust? And I think there is two key elements to it. A is the decision makers must understand 
better the Haredi society in order to do decisions who are applicable and relevant to the Haredi society. I'm not trying to say that you have to accommodate the Haredi. I'm just saying you have to understand the system. You just spoke about uh, internet access. So when you are deciding at the beginning of the pandemic that you have to send the kids home and to shut the schools, the decision wasn't that you want now to stop the school year. The decision was that, okay, under these circumstances, we should move the learning from a class learning to Zoom learning, okay? So off, online learning or, or distance uh, 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 learning. That's relevant to a non-Haredi kid. But when you are sending Haredi kids home, and you have six, seven, eight kids in a sometimes in a very small house, so they have a small dining room, and they don't have internet at home, and they don't have any access for a week, two months, two months, three months, four months, and you're saying, so why you are you are insisting to reopen the schools while other schools are not open? Or saying, but you made a decision that maybe this decision should be taken and maybe not. But at least before making this decision, did you really understand how a Haredi household looks like? Is that realistic to expect? Is that really, I spoke to one big doctor that is expert in pandemic and expert in kids. And he said, for my professional opinion, if I would ask what to do, for sure by the Haredi society, because of the density, because of the crowdedness in the Haredi society, it was much better to keep the kids in schools, in yeshivas, and to create a, a way to be on top and, and to be in real time at checking what's happening instead of sending the kids home in a building with 16 or 20 apartments, you get, I don't know, 200 kids and, and people are meeting each other. So except from pandemic perspective, it was a wrong decision. So as right. I said, so, so in order to make the decisions much more relevant and, and to create a trust, so A, you need to understand the, the society, you need to understand the culture, you need to understand their codes. But B, and that brings me to my, uh, to continue to follow your question, we have to have more Haredi in the public sector. We have to right. have around the table when you're making decisions to have Haredi. And again, what's the main barrier of having Haredi in the public sector? That today we have very, very uh, small percentage. It's not the willingness of Haredi. There is, the first barrier is that in high tech, you can be accepted without an academic degree. In my private business, I have over 150 employees. I can have a successful international business and nobody needs to come with a degree. But to work in a low level in the public sector, you must come with an academic degree. So that's create a barrier that many Haredim cannot join. And I think it's a loss for the public sector because you have so right. many talented people that can contribute so much and created a bridge between the Haredim and the, and, and the government. And we're yeah. losing this because we're insisting on so, adapting some model that it's not relevant. So what you're saying is, I mean, there are, of course, and they've been over time, you know, Haredis in government, like ministers and vice ministers and what have you. But what you're basically saying is what we don't have is Haredim in the civil service, the folks, not the minister, but the folks working mm -hmm. in the ministries and making those decisions that in many mm -hmm. cases, what we call a derega miktoi, the... the, the 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 professional mm -hmm. echelon and not the political one that's where in all levels yeah yeah that's i'm missing what i'm saying but that's the key the right. key to really build a trust between the haredim, haredim are, are living with a sense that we are not well accepted okay we are like uh, uh, second uh, class uh, citizens or maybe third class citizens 
And it's reflected in many aspects in life, especially here in Israel. But I'm saying if we will, talking about integration, if we will integrate Haredim in the public sector, if we will let them bring their voice and the quality, we will create a better environment that Haredi will get much more a sense of mamlachtiyut, of understanding the way yeah. that the government is operating. It's not us and them, it's us, we're part of it. And it's about time to change it because we're not any more small minority in Israel. Uh, and I think Haredi can contribute so much to the Israeli society, right. much more than just the percentage of how many Haredi men are going to work. They have so right. much to bring to the table in terms of their values and their volunteering attitudes and, and so many aspects in life and the community models. And this is what I am focusing on, on trying to build models and policy programs that will enable Haredi to really bring their added value to the future of Israel. That's that's very interesting. And, and part of it is, I think there's a, there's a lot of fear and mistrust. I mean, on the one hand, you say the Haredim are afraid that, you know, that the secular want to change them. And on the other hand, the secular are afraid that the Haredim want to impose on them religious observance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and use the power of the state to actually not do what Israelis call kefiyadatit, you know, uh, religious sort of imposition of stuff. And and if we can take those things off the table, maybe we can have a better dialogue. It's definitely, I think you have a very good point of understanding part of the fear from Haredim is really what will happen if Haredim will continue to grow, uh, the birth rate of Haredim, what can we do? They, they love big families. They think it's a Jewish tradition to, to have a big family. But one of the big fears is what will happen? And I want to say uh, two things about it. A, I think that one of the, the things that people don't really understand the difference between Haredim and religious Zionists is their approach to the issue of whether or not the state should be a Torah state, I mean, not Jewish, but Torah state, meaning this is one of the main differences between Haredim and the religious Zionists. The religious Zionists has a vision that they want to see, they see the state as part of their geula. The state is really should be reflecting Atchalta de Geula. And for them, the question of the parhesia, the public space is very crucial because this is part of their mission, because they see the state as part of their religious identity. Haredim are coming much more, uh, I would say, practical attitude to this issue. And I know sometimes I'm saying it, so people are upset, but I'm saying Haredim want to see the state functioning and working as a vad bite. The association of proprietors in a, in a, in a building. Yeah, right? we have to make sure that we are working in a fair way and making sure that everything is functioning and working. They are ready to leave their main challenges of the Jewish identity to the Beit Midrash and to their life. And they don't, and I know people are surprised what I'm saying because, no, but we see the Haredim have a problem with, I don't know, opening malls over Shabbat. I'm saying you have to understand, Haredim, their main agenda is focusing on their own community and making sure that nothing will hurt their way to keep Torah lifestyle. If you're pushing them to the corner and they are part of the government, and the government is now making a decision in something that is crucial, whether it's an attitude about conversion, the you, or it's something about big changes in Kashrut. So this is where you will see Haredim acting. But their main agenda of the Haredi society 
is really tell Yavne v'chachamea. Leave us alone. Don't try to change our lives. We can work together. I know that people are surprised when I'm saying because when they see that sometimes the Haredim are acting differently, but for many years of knowing and, and, and listening to the Rav Shach and other Gdolim, this is the main Haredi philosophy. And so if you're asking right. the future, I think that Haredim will be a better partner to compromise. And again, when it comes to, if you push it to the corner and said, okay, but we, the state of Israel, want to adapt a, a people uh, that made conversion, that it's not halachically a conversion, they will have a problem. Not because they concern about their kids, they will marry with, with the non-Jewish kids, because <laughs> they feel a sense of responsibility. But if you're not trying to, to push them to the corner, and you're, doing, you're going to deal with the day-to-day, I think Haredim are much more um, tolerant in terms of compromising and coming to solutions uh, rather than the religious Zionists who are feel much more that this is an agenda. I'm talking about people like Alex Smotrich, or, so they're coming with much more serious agenda, how the state should look like from a Jewish perspective. And like Haredim who said, the state is a state. Like they have some easygoing way. Okay, whatever. You know, we, we know we are living with people that some of them are religious, some are not religious. Uh. In some way, the, the Haredim, because of their different attitude, to Zionism, they see there's no specific difference between a Haredi community in Israel and a Haredi community in the diaspora. So therefore, they are more inward looking to their own communities than rather to having a mission of transforming the state as a whole. That's that's basically what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Let me shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the institute that you created, which is something pretty unique, the Haredi Institute for Public Affairs, which is the first Haredi Institute of its kind, the first also that is run and funded by Haredi themselves. So tell us a little bit about that little adventure that you got yourself into. <laughs> it, it was a step two in, in my vision to try to shift from uh, running the business over more than 25 years when I started my family foundation. So 10 years ago, uh, my father, my beloved father passed away and I decided that I want to start a family foundation, a charity. And uh, I knew that I want to continue my father's heritage, uh, even, even though that he was doing it in his own way. He, he would never open a, a think tank to, he was someone very active in, in, in taking care about challenges in the society, but in his way. But when he passed away, I decided that I want to devote most of my time and, and big part of my money to our family foundation. And my main focus was clear to me that my main focus is going to be the challenges of the Haredi society, mainly in Israel. And I took a year to try to figure out what exactly I want to do in this field. And that was a real and natural continuation of my work also at the publication, because as I already mentioned, Mishpacha over the years became a very social-oriented publication. So, so as a publication, we were trying to address challenges in the Haredi society in many areas of life, but I decided that it's about time to do something more. So it took a year to try to analyze what exactly I want to do in this field. I would say that it was clear to me from day one that my main motivation was that the tension between Haredi and non-Haredi society. I felt that this is something... It's a shame. It's such a chaval. I said that there is such 
two beautiful societies. And, and as I said, you asked me at the beginning about my identity, and I said I have two identities. I have a, Haredi, a very strong Haredi identity, and I feel very much connected to my Haredi community and Haredi background, but I also feel very Israeli, and I'm very connected to the Israeli ecosystem and Israeli scene. And I said my two loves are not talking to each other, and I have, we have to do something about it. Now, there is many ways that you can address this issue. It was you know, in the late, late 90s, after the uh, Rabin was uh, killed, so was many groups of conversation and talk and dialogue, but I felt that we have to do something more substantial, something more serious to address this issue. But again, my main concern was that Jewish society cannot, cannot live with two communities who, who almost don't speak to each other. And each of them uh, feel that the other community is trying to underestimate them and, and trying. And there is a big fear. And then after like taking a year to, to do some research and talking to people and, 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 and thinking about it, I find that the main challenge, if you, want, if you really, really want to make an impact change, uh, the main challenge was how to affect the policy, the government policy in Israel, and to provide the government and the philanthropy world better tools to understand the data, the figures, the culture, the potential that exists in the Haredi society in different areas. But my main belief was, and with all due respect to the philanthropy world, that I'm part of this a very important club of, of uh, philanthropy and foundation, but the bigger funder is the government, the right. government of the state of Israel. And right. over the years, I, I saw so many areas that the government, because of lack of understanding or because sometimes of some agenda, but 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 mainly because really not really giving the right attention to understand what's going on with the Haredi society. So they were continuing to work with the wrong policies over decades, and nobody never bothered themselves to stop for a moment and say, okay, maybe we try, it's not working, maybe we try something different. And I felt that my contribution, someone who is living in the two worlds, someone who has some academic background and have a business background and have yeshiva, very serious yeshiva background, I can become a bridge or translator between the two languages to bring the Haredi uh, uh, knowledge to the decision makers and to bring help the decision makers to understand opportunities and potential. So that was a startup. I must admit that uh, uh, Yitzhak Pindus, that he is now a Knesset member, he was one of the people I recruited to be a fellow and later he became also a CEO. Uh, and he told me, he said, when you asked me to join, he was joining us when we, we did a very big uh, project for the government regarding housing in Israel. Uh, that was a study that we did for the housing ministry. We made research and we find out that in the next 20 years, there is a need of 200,000 new apartments for the Haredi society. Now, when I'm telling people 200,000, people doesn't know if it's a lot or what does it mean 200,000? So just to give you some a figure, so a regular Haredi city like Modin Elite or El Ad or Beitar was around 10,000 uh, apartments. Today, it's a little bit more. So saying that you need in 20 years, 2,000 apartments, if you want to continue with the old way that we have to build Haredi in their own cities, you have to build over the next 20 years, 20 new cities, meaning every year to build a city. And Israel cannot live without 
trying to think out of the box. So I said when I hired Yitzhak Pintrus, because he was the mayor of the city of Bital, and I needed around the table beside experts, you know, geographics and demographics and, and people understanding housing. I need someone to understand how Haredi city looks like. So he joined us, and he, this, is, this is one of the ways that we're operating. Always we have experts from academia and experts from the Haredi field who are working together shoulder to shoulder to try to analyze and to bring the, the recommendation. And he said, listen, I have to admit, I saw that you are a dreamer. It's not realistic. You really think that you can start um, a think tank and the government will follow your recommendations? It's not going to happen, especially with the Israeli political system. But he said, this, I know that Eli have the time and the money. So if you want to play, let them do it. What, what do I care? And I, I have to say that today we became the main address for the Israeli government. Just last year, we participated three, ten, three government tenders, one the JDC and one from the labor arm. And one, the main one, is from the prime minister office to become a supplier for the government as a center of data, policy, strategy, and knowledge. So after seven years, uh, we got recognized as the reliable and professional entity who can really provide the knowledge. And today we are working with all government entities and key philanthropy entities. And the secret is that we are providing knowledge. We're giving you real, real data. We're giving you real understanding about the data, about the culture, about the different streams, about different opportunities and trying to build uh, um, models who can really work for the future of the state of Israel. To, or, or in other words, to build a win-win situation that let's put aside, we you know we're coming from a culture of dispute and machloket, and, and that we should continue. I think it's it's healthy for the Jewish people to continue to argue about big questions and big challenges of the Jewish identity. But when it comes to a policy, we have to try to see what works. And I think what the dream was that in order really to create you unity between the Jewish people, we have to solve the issues through using a better way to deal with policy. And that, that was the vision and the dream. So again, the tool is to work on economy, data, policy. But the mission is to create a trust and a partnership and a real, and a real uh, um, sense of responsibility between the different communities that each of them will appreciate what they can get from the other community, what they can contribute. Uh, I think it's a big, it was a big adventure when we started today. Seven years later, I can say that it works. Uh, we're working with the Ministry of Finance, with the Ministry of Education, Transportation, Health, uh, Housing, and working with big philanthropy foundations that they are looking to do some interventions in the Haredi society. So me as a funder, I see myself not just through the institute, as a partner to my colleagues in the philanthropy work to try to bring my knowledge or my different tools. I have a publication, I have my foundation, I have the, the, the data and the, and the institute to build together better the future for our people. So it's interesting that you mentioned, you just said that you use philanthropy within a context of many different tools, right? You have you have your you have your publication, you have the institute, you have your philanthropy, you have your work with the government, you have the work in the business world, and they all go through the same goal, which is 
probably the essence of strategic philanthropy, trying to use as many tools as you can to achieve a goal. So let's talk a little bit, just, just to close this fascinating conversation. I would continue forever. There's so much to learn here, Thank and probably you. we should do it again. Um, With pleasure. Just, just let's talk a little bit about the word of philanthropy. Like on the one hand, the Haredi society is extremely philanthropic, like the charity and tzedakah is, is a key part of the philanthropic society. On the other hand, it seems to go through different avenues from secular philanthropy. Like you're you're unique in the sense that you're you're both a Haredi philanthropist that uses both traditional Haredi ways of giving and and, and more strategic, you know, modern way of giving. So how what can we do to bring more of the dialogue that you were talking about to the philanthropic community, to incorporate Haredi philanthropy, to make secular philanthropy more attuned to the Haredi needs. What, what, what would be your sort of well, standing on one leg? How do you think we can, we can impulse that dialogue in our little world? I definitely believe that, as you just mentioned, there is a lot of charity in the Haredi world. I think people have no idea about the size of the charity. I won't call it, maybe you should call it philanthropy, but charity in the Haredi world, it's, it's above and beyond. We're talking about tens of billions that goes to tour institutions and poverty and support. And, and so easy, by the way, to raise money in the Haredi world for every initiative that you're looking for from either building a city to try to support yeshiva. The challenge is to create the language of philanthropy. What I learned when I joined the club of the JFN, I see the conversation of philanthropy, the strategic way of thinking, the collaboration between different partners. And again, there is also collaboration in the Haredi world. Uh, for instance, uh, I was involved with, the, there is a new initiative called Vad Hatzala to help the Jewish people, refugees from Ukraine. So in like, in two weeks, they raised $50 million from few Gvirim in the Haredi society like this, like before even knowing how much money they need, they already raised $50 million. And then they came to me and just asked me, okay, how can we work strategically of uh, uh, investing the money? So there is a lot of money, but there is, there is no really enough appreciation of working strategically. And I think this is where the partnership between the Jewish federations and the JFN and JFNA, this organization can contribute a lot. I think that they have a lot to bring to the table, not just the money, also their talent. And, and we're talking about big business people who are devoted. I think they have a lot to contribute also for the Jewish conversation. And I think they have a lot more to learn from the way that the philanthropy, the, the, the community that I feel part, lucky to be part of it is, is operating and functioning. Uh, I was involved in some trial to make it happen. I, I initiated some event like this in New York a few years ago. Uh, I once uh, had a meeting with uh, Eric Goldstein from the New York Federation, and we invited 30 uh, Haredi leaders and philanthropists to a conversation how we can work together. Again, the same as I said here, that there is also a, a fear, a suspicious between or mistrust between Haredi and and the, the Israeli government. Also, there is some mistrust between the very liberal left wing federations and, uh, and 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 some of the big foundations and and the Haredi society. I think that we, the JFN, should 
give some thought about it. We should create maybe even some kind of a research or roundtable with with key leaders understanding what will make it happen. The results, by the way, of the meeting that we had then with Eric Goldstein was that my CEO in Mishpacha was joining one of the committees in the New York Federation, and he enjoyed and they enjoyed. And I think that there is a lot, a lot more to do. Again, after all the diverse and the disagreement, there is so many things that we all can agree about, but it also will require from the federations an understanding that they have to compromise and not trying to accomplish their full agenda. Because as of today, most of these federations are coming with a very liberal, sometimes very reform-oriented agenda. And if we want to be inclusive, we have to create a space that everybody will feel welcome. And yes, we'll continue, as I said, we can continue to debate and argue, but there is so many areas. We're talking about the example I just mentioned. We're talking about the refugees from Ukraine. Why can't we work? Why we need Horadim to work and, and raising $50 million and, and making their own mission and other federations and not to bring one big table and to try to work together, use some infrastructure, use some knowledge, and, and et cetera. So I'm, I'll be very happy to support and help this process, but it's required from both sides, baby steps of building trust and, and building respect to each other to make it happen. Amen to that. And indeed, we at JFN are more than committed to, to have this dialogue and to host this dialogue. And I hope that this conversation is a step in that direction and that many of the, of the listeners and the funders that are in the network, use this opportunity to learn more about the Haredi community beyond the preconceived ideas and the stereotypes and, and vice versa. I hope that also the Absolutely. people pe- people in the Haredi world know that secular Jews love the Jewish people and want to do good as much as they can. Thanks so much to Eli Palay. You can learn more about the Haredi Institute for Public Affairs at www.machon.org.il. Thank you for tuning in. We want to hear your feedback about this podcast, but also guest ideas, breaking philanthropic news, whatever you want to send us. Please write to us at communications at jfunders.org. Keep up with the Jewish Funders Network at JFunders and find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at JFunders. You can also follow me on Twitter at Atspokoini. I'll leave you now with a quote from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who said, if you believe that you can damage, then believe that you can also rectify. So keep rectifying, keep righting the wrongs of the world, keep giving, and see you next time on What Gives.